Welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, a reminder this week. This week is the premiere of the Amazon series Grand Prix Driver. It's that behind-the-scenes look at the start of McLaren season last year. The first reviews are coming in. Um, it sounds like this is actually going to be really good. Oh, cool. Um, a lot of talk about how this is an incredible level of behind-the-scenes access into everything that was going on. Short of, like, um, performance graphs being visible on screen, you're there for all the meetings. Oh, wow. So we could totally geek out on this. Um, you could. There, there's a lot of inside baseball stuff there. Um uh, some of the things is, is like in the prep for the launch of the car in, in minutes beforehand or, or just before everyone's supposed to go on stage, the PR folks briefing Stoffel on what to expect from the press and how she, he should respond to questions. And basically them trying to prep Fernando and he's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, also... Uh, apparently you see a lot of the realization of how bad the Honda engine is at the start of the season and all of the concerns that the team had for the impact. Ouch. Yeah, whether it was, you know, the possibility of Fernando leaving or the team just disintegrating in frustration over this. Uh, Yeah, it, it is... A very, very intimate look at what was going on. Zach Brown has bragged over the fact that basically they didn't deny the cameras from going anywhere they wanted short of, like, the restrooms. Well, now I'm disappointed. <laughs> okay, you, want, you, you were you with want, me up until the point that I can't see the bathrooms. You, you wanted to know what the restrooms look like in the MTC? Yes. <laughs> you know I have a thing about restrooms. And now, so does the rest of the internet. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> I don't know if that actually needs any clarification, but I have been fascinated my adult life with how poorly some public restrooms are put together, and I don't hesitate to comment about them. Clearly. I believe I commented about them on our first date. You did. And you still dated me again, so therefore it's not that horrifying. Well, you know, I also didn't expect that 19 years later you were going to declare it to the entire internet. So there you go. <laughs> hey, moving on. <laughs> it was almost 20 years later, but okay, fine. Hey, moving on. Formula E. Formula E. That's certainly a great segue from bathrooms. Anything. Anything at all. Really. Anything at all. Okay. Formula E has revealed their car for the 2018-2019 season. Yes, they have. Um, dramatically different. It's getting a lot of positive reviews online. And the first reviews have, or, or the first comments that folks have had, have not been, hey, there's a halo. And, oh, it's awful. Well, by looking at the picture that you shared a little bit earlier in our actual pre-show prep, um, it looked like they actually took some time to think about how to integrate that Taylo and didn't just bolt it on. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is actually part of the design of the car. So it'll be very interesting. But there's two big pieces to this. One is the Halo. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's 
a few concerns about it. I guess there's supposed to be some kind of lights or something like that on the Halo, and let, let's think about that. <laughs> um, but the other thing is Formula E up until the 2018-2019 season, every driver had two cars for the race, if you remember this. The batteries were not strong enough to power the cars all the way through the race. So there was a mid-race pit stop that featured the drivers hopping out of their car that they started the race with, jumping over into a new car, and go and taking off. You know, I was unaware of this fact. Why not just shorten the race? I mean, let's think about that. Because I think they're all already like 30, 30 laps long. I mean, they're not very long races, and the tracks aren't anywhere close to as long as a Formula One track. I mean, these are short tracks. They're short races. Okay. Um, however, the batteries this year, which, by the way, are coming from McLaren, McLaren Ooh. Applied Technologies, um, they are increasing the capacity from 28 kilowatts to 54 kilowatts. So now you're thinking to yourself, well, why do I care? Well, Does that mean we don't have a mid-race sprint? There you go. That will now allow the Formula E cars to run an entire race without having to change cars. That's wow. a fairly big milestone for Formula E. It is a, a big milestone. I kind of go back to it's supposed <clears throat> to be a technology-cutting-edge experience with these electric cars. The thought that you had to have two cars to get through your race probably meant that you should have changed your race distances. Well, I think the... Or two sprint races as opposed to a mid-race car change. I think the idea was to push the teams, push the engineering. Mm. And that that was a whole philosophy behind it. Um, not only are the cars getting a longer range, about twice of what they had, they're getting faster too. Cool. So I don't know if we're going to follow it regularly again or at all. Again? We watched the first race. Uh, I that, watched the first race. That was race. not following it regularly. Okay. That was watching a single race. It was. That is like saying that we're going to watch the Puppy Bowl today and we follow the Puppy Bowl experience. There's a lot of folks who follow the Puppy Bowl experience. The one entire one that it has. <laughs> I mean, there has to be preseason puppy experiences, right? I yes, mean, like, how do they select the... Yes, you go to your local <laughs> animal rescue, and you see the dogs as they sit there and go, adopt me, please. That <laughs> is, save me that from is, the puppy bowl. <laughs> that is the entire preseason experience of puppy bowl. Makes That's sense it. to me. So it's not adoption events anymore. It's save me from the puppy bowl. Only you say that. <laughs> Other reveals this week. Uh, IndyCar has released the first uh, preview shots of the windscreen that they are implement or, or they want to test. Uh, they haven't decided if they're going to implement it yet, but they want to test uh, for implementation for cockpit head protection. Um, it looks very similar to the aero screen that we saw last year that F1 hated. Um, IndyCar's concern over the halo and why they don't want to do it is they're very concerned about how much it restricts visibility on an oval circuit. Oh, uh, yeah. Because those visibility angles are very different from a road course. Yeah. I could understand that. I'm concerned that the bent Lexan-type arrangement with the wind, um, the, what do I call that, the windscreen? Aero screen. Aero screen. 
Um, I'm concerned that the second the Formula One drivers got into that car, they were like, this is crap. It distorts everything. And they hopped right back out of the car. I don't even think that thing made a full lap. Um, no, there there was an installation lap. That's all that there was. I mean, it did not go very far. There was instant talk of uh, distortion. And I'm concerned about what that would do on an oval and on a road course. Would they be? Would there be distortion? Well, they're going to test it this week. Um, there is uh, rookie driver testing going on this weekend in Phoenix that, oddly enough, even though it's technically rookie testing, Scott Dixon's going to be out on track with the car testing the windscreen. Oh, so he's rookie testing the windscreen. The windscreen is the rookie. Oh, is that, I mean, is that the to, logic here? You've got to lay this out the right way. I mean, let's let's be honest about the whole thing. Okay, so I just want to do a little calendar check so mm-hmm. that everybody's aware. First race in uh, IndyCar is going to be Sunday, March 11th. Yep. And I believe it's the following weekend is... Well, we'll get to schedule. Oh, We're not God. there yet. We're still talking about all the, the, the preseason, early season, non-season stuff. We'll get we'll get to, to schedule. I am only looking forty something days in the future at this point. Clearly, I should also point out that IndyCar is this year is a new body style for IndyCar. It's a new car, new chassis. Part of the design work for this was so that it could accept some sort of head protection system. So they they've already been thinking about this. They just don't know what it is. I still have to give them credit for that they have been thinking about it without having it public for so long so that they didn't have to endure the, the commentary from us, mostly. Yes, because you know IndyCar cares about our commentary. Well, well, they care about more about their fans than F1 has, so there's that. But anyway. <laughs> I know that IndyCar cares about our commentary. We met the president of the Indianapolis Speedway. He was very interested in what we were doing. He was. So therefore they care. Okay. And they need to remember to go pick up his little His minifig, minifig if they have it? Yeah. Yes. Um, so last week, as we discussed, the 24 Hours of Daytona, Fernando Alonso was running. Um, when Where we had last left off, the car was already out of contention because of— It was 26 of laps down, right? Something like that. Um. Due to brake issues and, and, and throttle problems and other things. They lost about 40 minutes and all that. As a result, uh, he fin- Fernando's team finished 38th. Out of 39 contenders, right? I think it was a few more than that. Not many. But, yeah, not many. It, it was not a great showing for the team, but they finished the race. Which we have said and... Every documentary we have ever seen on Le Mans uses the same quote. Finishing is winning in a world endurance race. Well, any 24-hour race in particular. Um, the race was actually won by Action Express Racing in a Cadillac. A Cadillac? Yes. Well, that tells you, you're going to go the distance. Go the distance in a Cadillac. Now, over on the... Um, the GT Daytona side, I believe it was, it was won by two Ford GT Ford 500 GT cars, both of which run by Chip Ganassi Racing. Oh, 
Go Chip. So the question is, what is Fernando's future? What is his plans? Well, for starters, we got confirmation that Fernando will be running in the 24 hours of Le, Ma- of Le Mans. Le Le yeah, that too. <laughs> Le 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 Not to be confused with the 24 hours of lemons. Totally different race. I would love to see Fernando run the 24 <laughs> hours of lemons. That, that would be a career-making experience for him. Potentially. But um, he will be running in the 24 hours of Le Mans this year and next year. Ooh. Not only that, but McLaren and – actually, it was not McLaren. I'm sorry. Toyota announced that Fernando will be running uh, in just about the entire WEC, WEC season, the 2018 – because it's a combined 2018-2019 season – Fernando will be running in the entire season alongside his Formula One schedule, with one exception. As of right now, um, there is a schedule conflict between the Fuji race and the U.S. Grand Prix. Mm. And as of right now, he is not expected to run in the Fuji race. You know, I would be okay if he missed the U.S. Grand Prix. Well, you know, it, it... I think a lot of it's going to depend, A, on how competitive the McLaren is as to whether or not he decides to throw up his hands and go, you know what, I got a better chance of coming up, coming away with a championship in WEC. Let me go run that. But there is talk that maybe they will move the Fuji race to accommodate Fernando. Now, this isn't entirely unprecedented. Okay. The race has already been moved. It was moved back a weekend, one week, because there was a clash in the race schedules with the Petit Le Mans endurance race at Road Atlanta. Okay. So in order to avoid that clash, they shifted it back a week. So they could move it again. Now, I don't know how much they would move it and and, and what Fuji's schedule looks like, because I believe... The week immediately, at, and, and I have to double-check what the schedule is, and, and we've got it. I just haven't opened it up. But I believe it's the week right after the U.S. Grand Prix is the Mexican Grand Prix. Correct. But that would con- conflict with the Petit Le Mans in Atlanta. They already moved it back a week. Yeah. So I don't know. So, um, Okay, so here's questions for you. I have, I have serious, serious questions. Okay. Now, I know that... Running in two series like this concurrently really harkens back to race drivers of old. Where if in it, the oldie days, in the oldie days, the Jim like the Jim Clark era, yeah, where, you know, he was running Formula Two and Formula One at the same time. The pre-Bernie Eccleston days, more right. specifically, right? Because it was Bernie that really wanted the drivers to focus on one series. Yes, um, and prior to that, they pretty much, if it was racy, they did it. So this is not that unprecedented. It's unprecedented in this generation of drivers, certainly. But my big question is in 2015, there was a Formula One driver that took a weekend off to run the 24-hour of Le Mans, and he won it. He and, and his team. Bernie Eccleston blew his top. Well, yeah, that, that and as a result, the ceiling is As a bad. result, he changed the calendar to make it so that it could not be done the following year. Yes, and then they fixed that problem. Yeah. Anyway, I just want to know what the Fernando 
Alonzo apologists will say if Fernando does not place well and or win the 24-hour of Le Mans when a non-world champion won it his first time out? Let's start with he's running for Toyota. Now, granted, he's running for Toyota, and Audi, who is a perennial favorite, is out of the series. Porsche, who has also been a perennial favorite and competitor, chief competitor to Audi, is no longer in the series. So, by default, I think the competition level may be a little low. Mm. So, we may not be comparing apples to apples. Right. And if he still does not do well, right. what does well, that say? It depend- the, the other thing that you've got to ask is, you know, from what we know of Toyota and Nissan's previous Le Mans attempts, they have not been particularly impressive. Mm-hmm. But again, their main competition is not around. So it's going to depend on the who, what, and why. You know, does does the car blow up? Things of that nature. Who was the team that was the garage Easters? Though you're thinking Rebel. Rebel, who has done very well. Yeah. Um, I believe last year they won their their category. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Just saying. Just saying. So, what Fernando's schedule is shaping up to look like? And I'm not going to go through the entire race schedule. And although for the clarification on USGP and Mexican Grand Prix, yes, they are one week apart. Um, So June, actually before that, we have Baku on April 29th. The following weekend, May 5th, is the WEC race at Spa. Um, We then move up to June 10th, which is the Canadian Grand Prix. Followed June 16th and 17th by Le Mans in its traditional location. Followed the week after that, June 24th of the French Grand Prix. And oh, by the way, the week after the race in Spa is the Spanish Grand Prix. Um, Jump forward to June 29th is the Hungarian Grand Prix. Then Fernando gets a couple of weeks off because the next race at Silverstone is August 19th. But August 26th, he's back in Spa for the Formula One. U.S. Grand Prix, or the Belgian Grand Prix, rather. He's in Spa for the U.S. Grand Prix? Wow, they're weird. really stretching this deal out. That would be weird. <laughs> um, so then November 11th is the Brazilian Grand Prix, followed by November 18th is the WEC race in Shanghai, mm. followed by November 25th is the season finale for Formula One over in Abu Dhabi. He's going to have some serious jet lag. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. More power to him if he has a successful double season. I mean, that would be amazing. But it does continue to make me question Fernando Alonso's skills at managing himself. Well, you know, I think that's part of the reason why he wants to do it is because of the challenge of such a busy schedule. Or he just doesn't like to be home. Well, he's got a cat. Okay. And and, and he has pointed out, uh, at least the the one time that folks have seen it, um, his his cat does tend to miss him. It was in his Instagram once. There was a picture of it. 
Aww. Yeah. Maybe his cat could go hang out with uh, Lewis's dogs. Possibly, but I doubt it. All right, so Formula One news. And actually, this story, when it hit, when it was announced, was so big. For start Formula One? Well, for starters, I got a news alert from Sky News, middle of the week. Now, the last time I got an off-season news alert about Formula One from Sky News was when Nico Rosberg announced his retirement. Okay, so this is equal to Nico Rosberg retirement. This was so big that on Friday, when I got my Google News Alerts email that I get every day, there was a story about it in the Google News Alerts that came from Golf Digest. About this. (laughs) Wow, Lewis Hamilton has retired? I mean, what could this be? (laughs) Formula One announced this past Wednesday, they released a statement saying that um, they were ending Grid Girls with immediate effect. No. The practice of Grid Girls is done. Well, there it goes. The sport is over. We could p- not possibly have a car race without scantily clad women. So Sean Bratches said, with the practice of employing, while the practice of employing Grid Girls has been a staple of Formula One Grand Prix for decades, we feel this custom does not resonate with our brand values and clearly is at odds with modern-day societal norms. We don't believe the practice is appropriate or relevant to Formula One and its fans, old and new, across the world. Go eyebrows. So, Bernie doesn't agree. Bernie is so out of touch. We have discussed this for the past three solid years, how out of touch he is. Bernie says, these girls were part of the show. Fans love the glamour. I can't see how a good-looking girl standing with a driver and a number in front of a Formula One car can be offensive to anybody. They are all nicely dressed. I would think people like Rolex and Heineken wouldn't have girls there who weren't presentable. This is the statement he made to the Sun newspaper this week. So many thoughts colliding before I get they come out of my mouth. It's very, very bad. Well, while, while we're on that topic, Nikki Lauda was speaking to the Austrian newspaper Der Standard. He said, this is a decision against women. Men have made the decision over the heads of women. This is not doing any favors to F1 and especially not for women. How stupid can they be? Are they nuts? I hope there is a way to reverse the decision. I wouldn't mind seeing grid boys next to grid girls. Why not? Okay, I don't understand how this is setting women back as Nikki seems to think. But he does have a point if you were to level it out and put boys and girls there, then that makes sense to me. But the fact that it has been exclusively like, and this is the way it comes across. If you are a woman, that is where you belong in F1, holding a number standing in front of the car. You have no place in the garage. You have no place in the team leadership. You have no place in the driver's seat. And the few women that have risen to those jobs where we have a deputy team principal in Claire or we have test and development drivers in Susie Wolf and other... How about the number of engineers there are 
there are women who are part of the pit crews who are mechanics. There are several women who have fairly prominent roles in the strategy that are trackside sitting on the pit wall making strategy calls that are influencing the race and, and the positions of the race. I mean, there are a lot of roles besides just working in hospitality or carrying the, the helmet bag for a driver. There are a lot of women in very influential roles in Formula One. Well, I take umbrage with a lot of women. That statement of there are a lot of women in influential roles. It, it, you uh, don't know because they're never interviewed. Okay, let me let me put it this way. Okay. If you actually watch what is going on behind the scenes during the grid walks, during the various things that are happening pre-race, and, and again, you don't necessarily see this on the American coverage, but on the UK coverage, the amount of time that they spend behind the scenes walking through the paddock, walking through um, the, the pit lane and all of that, if you look at the things that women are doing when they are in the frame, it is something more than just carrying somebody's water bottle. When there are women in the frame. And, but there's a lot. If you look, you see there are a lot of women running around in all of these behind-the-scenes areas. It's not like, oh, wow, that's unusual. There's a woman over there. You see them quite a bit. You, it's not a necessarily a 50-50 um, distribution. But probably somewhere between 20 to 30% of the people that you see running around in team attire doing stuff for the team are women. I would really love to have an audit of the 20 to 25 to 30%. Okay. But if there are 20 to 25%, 30% of women doing things for the teams that are greater roles than caterer, water bottle holder, or physio. I see a lot of them being physios. A lot of the women being physios. No, no, I, I know what you meant. If it's a job that's other than those three, why are they never interviewed? Well, that's you know. That's my issue. In, is, in the case of, I believe it was the Sauber um, strategist, she doesn't want to be interviewed. And the one time that, that they tried to interview her because she made an incredible strategy call that worked up worked out great, she ran from the cameras. And she specifically said, don't talk to me. So I think some of those folks don't want to be interviewed. And I know it, it's it's that that's a hard thing. I mean Especially in her case. I mean, it was an inspired call at that point. It, it truly did have a significant impact on the fortunes of the team. That, and it was a call that nobody else on the entire pit lane made anywhere on the grid. And they wanted to congratulate her and highlight the insight that she had. And she ran from it. I just cannot imagine... That the vast majority wouldn't have at least said, you know, something along I, those I, lines. I, I would think it would be more along the lines of why aren't the teams putting these women out front the same way that they're putting out 
their technical directors and, you know, the team managers and some of the other folks that they put out in front of a camera? That, and I think that's a better question. That's, that is very much at the crux of my question, which goes back to where do you see the majority of the women that you see on the coverage? Where are they? The majority of the women. In the hospitality. There you go. Or around the hospitality. Or holding numbers standing in front of cars. I think this is a very big deal. I think oh, I'm, I'm not saying a it's good a, call. I, I'm, I'm not arguing that at all. I am not arguing in support of what either Bernie or Nikki said. Let, let's be clear on that. What I do question is if this – if. It is such a spectacle to have a person standing in front of the cars, and it's such a big deal to do this. Again, A, like everyone else has said, why is it only women? Why is it only adults? There are other ways that they could do this. You know, and and a perfect example, without even looking at what Bernie and Nikki want to say, if you look at Abu Dhabi, and how big a deal Emirates Airlines plays in the coverage, in the sponsorship, in the organization of all of that. And the quote-unquote grid girls for that race are wearing, um, whether they are or not, I don't know, but they're wearing the uniforms that the, the flight crew wear, in particular the cabin crew wear, on the planes. Well, okay, why are there... And, and I get that it's an Arab country, and, and there may not necessarily be women who are pilots on the flagship airline for an Arab, but, but why are the pilots not there? Yeah. They're an important part of it. And, and I suspect, my, my theory is that, yes, the grid girls are gone, but I suspect the other places where the models have appeared— you know, in, in the lineup going from the driver's room out to the podium. And, and I suspect that they're still going to be there. I, I, I cannot imagine, <clears throat> and I would love to see it, where they actually do make a fundamental shift um, all the way around. I think that would be awesome. I don't know if they would necessarily do that, but to have a essentially 22 women standing on the grid holding a number i mean to say that that is the most that they can contribute is insulting and to do away with that for a job that literally can be done by a little metal stand yeah i mean there's no point i get you know the whole thing about the uh, in abu dhabi they wear the flight attendant uniform, but why are there nobody in pilot uniforms? I get that. I think that's I think that's equally as wrong. I, well, I, I, I take that, though, from the perspective of the reason why they wear that is because it is a sponsorship and a representative opportunity of the brand. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, then fully represent your brand. is it, That's my point, it, it, just to be clear. But you could represent your brand by – Putting in, even if you didn't have female pilots, which is perfectly reasonable mm-hmm. that they may not. Put given, your pilots out there. Yeah, put some pilots out there. 
Um, I mean, it's perfectly reasonable considering some of the Arab countries don't allow women to drive. I mean, mm-hmm. that that's that's reasonable. But I I I just have. I, I think that this is a forward-thinking move, and in the light of every other piece of news and media that is coming out that is in support of the the plight that women go through and this idea that trying to move from being object to participant and value-add has been a hard road. And I think that this is one of those last bastions of that's an object. We don't need to be a part of that. Promote women in the sport in a hundred different ways, but promote them for their brains. Promote them for their abilities. Promote them because they stand equal in maths and sciences and engineering and aerodynamics because that's where we will make a good difference and not holding a number. And I'll put my soapbox away at some point. The the other thing that, you know, there, there's a lot of focus on, well, you know, there's no women who are driving in Formula One. But, but I think maybe that shouldn't necessarily be where the focus is. And, 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 and I say that only because if you look at the Junior Series and you look at how many women are actually in the Junior Series, okay, assuming, and, and, and I'm going to take it from the assumption that the opportunity to break into the junior series is the same if you're a male or a female. If you look at Formula One as a whole and you look at the ladder feed into as a driver and you look at the ladder feed into all of the other things that a team needs to function as a team, even if you take out the hospitality piece, there's a lot of women in that pipeline on the other side and in the management side of the team in the leadership side of the team, in the engineering side of the team. And that goes to your point of, well, maybe, okay, if we see a woman who, who finally breaks into the junior series, we keep an eye on her and, and we hope that, that that's what happens. But in the meantime, you've got all this talent that already exists in these teams and are playing roles in these teams, making sure that there's an opportunity for them to continue to progress in those teams and they don't stay as you know, junior engineer number three. Well, the thing is, I there are just sheer numbers. Taking <clears throat> what the job is, there are more jobs as a mechanic in Formula One than there are as a driver in Formula yeah. One. There are more jobs as pit crew in Formula One than there are driver. So by that very nature, the place that women can break through the fastest is where there is more jobs. That makes sense to me. But what I think the onus should be, the next step, the Sean, don't pull up short step. You've done a great thing by saying women are not number holders. Mm-hmm. They they contribute more to Formula One than to stand on the grid and look pretty. And we pat their heads and say, oh, that's so nice that you look so pretty and move on with your life. It's now time for Formula One as a whole and every team to be challenged to step up and put the women that are on their teams, that are excelling on their teams, somewhere where they can be seen. Whether they want to be interviewed or they call them up or you get Toto Wolf out there and going, you know, I've got this assistant engineer on my team, Becky, and Becky is phenomenal. 
And you guys should go talk to Becky and interview her and get a quote from Becky. I mean, that's where it needs to come from. It needs to start becoming part of the lexicon of Formula One. Not just, we're going to go to the team principal, and team principal is Toto, and Toto brings in his head engineer, and that head engineer takes all the credit for every strategy call that just made it happen, and it was 14 other people on that pit wall that made those calls that told him, we see this, and this is what's going on. And that's where I have a problem. Honestly, I think where it's more likely that you're going to see traction is when a woman gets hired as either a technical director or a team manager. Well, yeah. And and, and maybe less so as a team manager because I think the only team manager who ever gets put in front of a camera is over at Red Bull. I don't even think any – and it's a fairly important role, but I think it's only the Red Bull team manager that gets put – but f- when a woman gets named as technical director – then it'll then it'll be a big deal because even like the guy who's in charge of aero or engineering at a team, you never hear from them. Yeah, they get named once in a press release, but beyond that, they don't put them in front of it. It's until they you put someone at a technical director or better level. Um, and and, and I think that- unfortunately, Monisha Keltenborn has also ruined some of it ruined some of it because there was some traction when she became the team Mm -hmm. principal there was a lot of they wanted to go talk to her because it was different it was Mm -hmm. new and what perspective could she bring to the sport the problem was she was an idiot yeah you've got claire uh williams that is an assistant uh she's deputy director deputy team deputy team principal because frank is frank and she's phenomenal and they'll go to her occasionally and talk because Frank doesn't these days. And they'll go to her, but they really need somebody that's as vibrant and forefront as the Christian Horners and the Toto Wolves. And- but, but also, look at what Claire's background was coming through that team. She didn't come through the, the engineering side. She came through the marketing and PR side. Mm-hmm. That's that's she came up through those ranks. But the other thing that need to call out and and, and yes, I understand it's because she was having a baby, but we really didn't see Claire for the last half of the season. How much we're going to see Claire this year now that she's a parent, we don't know. Well, and that that will be very interesting. I mean, the last time we saw Claire, she looked uncomfortable to look at. She was very, very pregnant. Yeah, but. I mean, and we never heard anything about the birth of her child. Not even Williams made an announcement. That's weird. Yeah. Very weird. But those are the types of people. And here's the thing. I would also lay money that percentage-wise, there are more Formula One women on the PR and marketing staffs than there are in the engineering and the mechanics staffs. Possibly. Actually, probably. So, Quite yeah, probably. you may see women around, but there's probably a lot more in the PR and marketing side than there are in the mechanic side. And I want to start seeing women go toe-to-toe on the strategy wall. I really do. Because I believe that, and this is something that I've heard Susie Wolf say enough times that I'm pretty convinced that she'd agree with me. There are things that physically men can do better than women. It's just a fact of biology. But once you start putting equipment in the in the mix, 
you could have great equalizers. That car mm-hmm. equalizes the driver because now you're not lifting 40 tons. There's that piece of it. There's a lot of other parts to From it. From a gender perspective. From a gender equal, perspective. Because let's be clear, as we see every single season, not every person in that car is as good as every other person. No. Let's be clear on that. But <laughs> Pastor Maldonado is nowhere close to as good as Lewis Hamilton or Fernando Alonso. Let's just get it out there. Right. However, if you put... Lewis and Susie in the same car, they can drive the same car. Maybe Lewis will take a better line. Maybe he's got a little bit better instincts and things like that. But that becomes, you shouldn't be able to tell someone's gender by the way they drive the car. Okay. I think the pit wall is the other great place where there is a gender equalizer. You don't have to be able to lift and torque and wrench on cars to sit on that pit wall and make great strategy calls and i would hold that a lot of things that women tend to be very good at would hold them in good stead sitting and doing strategy and and that's where i go back to i think there's a lot more women on that pit wall than you realize they're just not necessary but but a lot of those women are not ones or are in roles that yes they're on that pit wall and they're they're more influential than you think but those are roles that don't necessarily talk to the media and we see that a lot with a lot of those roles on the pit wall and i think that formula 1 <clears throat> as they start to try to take steps to equalize and look at the world around them and the values of the world around them i think formula 1 should Take a census. Take something that says, hey, this is what we're doing. This is where we can do better. This is, And we're doing better by making sure that the largest percentage of women are not in roles that hold signs. And yeah, I, think I don't think we're arguing that. And I think it's a great thing. I am pro-eyebrows right now. Okay. Hey, let's talk about broadcast coverage. Okay. Okay. Are they going to have Greg Carlson? Are they going to all move to the broadcast coverage now? <laughs> Doubt it. Um, Just, you know, suggesting. <laughs> no, nothing. And and as of right now, we still do not know what is happening in the U.S. Seriously? We, you know, we've got the— 46 days to figure this out. We've got basic info that ESPN is covering it, and a couple of races are going to be over on ABC. We don't have much more than that. What we do know, for those of us who enjoy the UK's coverage and prefer that to what we have gotten in the past, we know what races Channel 4 will be covering live as opposed to a highlights package. Oh, cool. Which ones do they get? So live will be the Bahrain Grand Prix on April 6th and the 8th, or 6th to the 8th, rather. The Azerbaijan Grand Prix, April 27th to the 29th. Monaco. Uh, the 25th to the 27th. Austrian Grand Prix, June 29th to July 1st. The British Grand Prix, obviously, from the 6th to the 8th of July. Uh, Next live race for Sky will be uh, August 24th to the 26th in Spa. Singapore from September 14th to the 16th. Japan, October 5th to the 7th. The U.S. Grand Prix. Uh, on October 19th to the 21st, and the 
race, or the season finale, the 23rd to the 25th in Abu Dhabi. Now, if you can get the sky coverage, you get everything live. Oh, wow. Um, however, free-to-air in the UK, it is those 10 races. Everything else is going to be highlights package, which, remember, for a highlights package off of Channel 4 means you get about 95% of the race, with the exception of, like, the safety car laps and one or two other things, and short and pre- and post-race. It's still, still get, about three hours of coverage. Oh, easily. Um, where a full race is about five to seven. It's four hours. I think it's a, it's a difference between two hours and four hours of coverage. Yeah. What, do you remember when we first realized like what the coverage was like and we described it and on this podcast, on this very podcast, is it was like a Super Bowl every race? Yeah, I mean, pretty much. If you think about it, you know, the Super Bowl is what? Three hours of, of, of pregame coverage and an hour and a half of postgame coverage and a two-hour game. Is it only a two-hour game? Something like that. Um, yeah, all of those things. But So it's a little less than that, but it has got the hype of, I mean, there's an hour and a half of pre-race coverage that happens. And that's in addition to that, there's you know, an hour plus of qualifying coverage. So I did a quick Google search. Okay. ESPN has not posted any news about their broadcast team since November of last year. And let me guess, if you go to ESPN's website, they don't where they list the, the various sports, Formula One isn't listed. I didn't even go there. As opposed to if you go to the ESPN's uh, UK website, ESPN.co.uk, F1 is part of the category banner at the top and has and is throughout the year and has been for years. That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what uh, ESPN is is doing honestly. So. As we mentioned also, there are changes to broadcast time or, or to race start times as well. Now, we hinted at this, what, last week or the week before that there was going to be at a minimum a 10-minute shift. Well, we found out the real reason for that 10-minute shift. Oh, and is it because the U.S. needs commercials? Because that's what you said last week. That was my assumption, but actually it's not. But oh, it is the U.S.'s fault. Okay. What and happened? possibly Canada and a couple other countries whose race broadcast tends to start at the top of the hour at the same time that the race starts. Uh. Um, Formula One's position, and in particular Formula One Group's position, is that, you know, there's a lot of excitement and anticipation and buildup that happens in the 10 minutes prior to the race start. Well, by going and shifting the start time 10 minutes later, knowing that these broadcasts start right at the top of the hour, it allows them to actually cover that stuff. Oh, I see what they're saying. My fear is that their thought is, if we're going to do another one of those Michael Buffer U.S. Grand Prix openings, they can make sure everybody gets to see that fiasco. Oh, great. Let's share that fiasco around again. Yeah. Well, that makes a whole lot more sense than we need commercials. Um, it does. Because the, the likelihood that a, a U.S. broadcaster would start the coverage 30 minutes early in order to 
get some of the hype so that it could the race would start at the top of the hour is less than they start the coverage at the top of the hour we still lose a lot of the good good stuff but at least we get the last little bit and the national anthem and but stuff like but that. if you think about it this way they're making a change in the start time to accommodate the broadcasters who don't want to do pre-race coverage correct why not just force them into pre-race coverage as part of their package? Because they might drop it all together. Depends on how you price it. Yeah. I mean, if you're pulling in your Formula One fans 30 minutes earlier, and in the case of, like, a U.S. broadcaster, you can sell. And, and actually, even if you're, like, Sky or not, yeah, even if you're Sky or um, Channel 4 in the U.K., you're selling ads during your pre-race coverage to your Formula One fans. What are we going to do after this year? I don't know. I haven't figured that out yet. You have one season. Yeah, I know. I have not figured that out yet. Because I if I really... have to learn Italian to start listening to the Italian Coverage, this is going to be a problem. I, I hear that the Spanish coverage is supposed to be particularly ecstatic. Ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know enough Spanish. Because I'm betting that it's not. It's going to be beyond my limited Spanish of hello, good evening, thank you. You know, it, at this point, I'm really just kind of hoping that whatever streaming service that they're working on is value and is going to going to make up the difference between the crap coverage that we have been getting. Well, here's my hope is that whatever streaming service that they decide to do will have commentating. That's the issue that I run into is good commentating, good commentating. But the problem is you can get the world feed. I mean, we've seen it, but the world feed that we have access to in the States is the world feed with the NBC Sports commentating and gets broken up when NBC Sports goes into a commercial because that makes a whole lot of sense. I know. Or it's the – because NBC Sports was putting for a while the world feed on their uh, online coverage – Strict with no com commentating whatsoever. Which no, they is, weren't doing. The no, they weren't doing that for the races. They were doing that for the practices. For the practices, and only the practices. So you could write your own commentating. Could yes. Practice being a commentator. Because I'm you had not particularly coverage. good with that. No. And Hell, we just need to be better about doing grid walks for IndyCar. We had to learn how to do the grid walks with IndyCar. Yeah, without the drivers. Keep that in mind. Yeah. All right. We'll be we'll be there this year, so we'll grid walk again. Yep. All right. So updates on grid launches and other schedule pieces. I heard Toro Rosso is announced their release of their car. Yeah, we had mentioned that Toro Rosso is going to be in Barcelona on February 26th. Um, but before we even get to Barcelona, the first team to release their car as of right now will be Williams, and it will be online. Okay. We will see their car next week is the 15th or the week after. 
Uh, it's the week after. Okay. So February 15th is Williams. Renault also announced they will be on the 20th along with Sauber. Uh, both of theirs will be online. February 22nd, as we previously mentioned, will be Ferrari with their venue being uh, Marinello. Uh, also on the 22nd in Silverstone, Mercedes will be launching their car. The 23rd, uh, McLaren has booked online. I hear the venue's kind of popular. Mm, wow. <laughs> I'm working on getting my seats for that one. Okay. Um, and as you mentioned, Toro Rosso, February 26th. So we're still waiting on Haas and Force India. Okay. I think they're the only two who have not announced yet. Um, I predict, now these are my predictions, I predict that the Williams car will be white with two shades of blue and a red stripe. Okay. And the Ferrari will be mostly red with some white? Well, only if they think white makes them go faster. Now, the, the big question is what McLaren's going to be doing. Well, there will be that question, and it will be a big question as to whether or not Force India will be pink again. I think they will. Um, I think uh, the deal with BWT, which I think stands for Best Water Technologies, um, I think that was a multi-year sponsorship deal. I think that's cool. I like them being pink. Okay. I liked it better once they started having race suits that worked with their cars. Yeah, to well, the, that made Because it was such a last-minute ch color change that, <laughs> that their race suits did not sense. go. There was clashing. It was bad. We also now have the official race entry list for this year's season. Were there last-minute surprises? Um, not really. Uh, mainly some confirmation of, of some numbers and some team names. Okay. You're being dramatic. You have something to share, I can tell. Yeah, I don't know if it's dramatic, but I'm being dramatic because it, it, it's something. So Charles Leclerc, uh, on his debut with Sauber, will be running as the number 16. Um, Sergey Sorotkin over at Williams will be number 35. Um, Aston Martin has been added as the title sponsor for Red Bull Racing. Um, although, of course... Autosport didn't bother to list the full name, but I'm assuming it's going to be uh, Aston Martin Red Bull Racing. Mm -hmm. um, also, there's been a name change at Toro Rosso. They are now the Red Bull Toro Rosso Honda. Interesting. Well, you know, originally it was Scuderia Toro Rosso. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why they have added Red Bull to it because they've been Scuderia Toro Rosso regardless of whether or not they were running... Renault engines or Ferrari engines. Okay. I don't know. Um, Sauber is now Alfa Romeo Sauber. Alfa. Yep, so Alfa is back. So the question is, do we decide to completely dismiss Sauber when we talk about the team and just refer to them as Alfa Romeo, or do we go the other way around? And or do we do the whole thing? I think it really depends on how they perform and how they embrace their sponsorship. So are you thinking if they do well, they're Alfa Romeo, and if they're bad, they're Sauber? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if they do well, they're Alfa Romeo, and if they do bad, they're still Monisha's team. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think that's completely reasonable. So the other 
bit of news is that as it stands right now, despite all of the discussions we have heard, Force India is still listed as Force India. Huh. Now, there is still an expectation that a change to the team's name will be announced later in the season, or later in the year, but before the start of the season. We just don't know what it is. Odd. Yeah. Possibly because they still seem to think that they're going to get Force One. Mm, I don't know. They're not getting Force One. And they shouldn't do Force One because it's stupid. (laughs) Bottom line. Other changes for the year that we are hearing, and and this is some more of the the inside baseball and some of the other stuff, some of the expectations that we can see. Um, What is behind the scenes and the teams are a little upset about? Um, not only did the teams end up suffering a cut to the amount of money that they were getting from the prize funds, apparently they've been told that they need to fund their participation in the promotional events organized by Formula One out of their own budgets. The teams aren't happy about this. Ooh. Yeah. I can understand. Now, I don't know how those arrangements were, and it's not really all that public as to how those arrangements were. Clearly, the teams used to do some degree of promotional work that they used to fund because Bernie used to brag that that was one of the things that he loved about Red Bull is that anytime he wanted Red Bull to show up and do some promotion, they would, and they would pay for it. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I don't know if that means that there there's more demands or what. Interesting. Formula One Group also put forward a proposal to have a grand, quote, opening ceremony to the season prior to the start of winter testing. Which, by the way, I should mention, I jumped over that. Winter testing is scheduled for February 26th to March 1st is test one. And test two is March 6th to March 9th. And yes, I do intend to put forth another bloke in the bird calendar. I'll probably put that put that together in the next couple of weeks and get that up. You but before get, the season you, starts. You better get cracking because you only have like seven, ten days till Williams launches their car. Yeah, it, probably in the next week or so I'll have that up. Yeah, you, I should mention that that's coming. You 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 are running out of time. And especially since we are getting so close to the season opener. Well, we don't have to worry about a grand season opening ceremony to happen before uh, preseason testing. Okay. Because the teams decided they didn't like it. Um, as the BBC said, it was flatly rejected on the basis that it did not work for the teams on almost every <laughs> level. So they were opposed, you're saying? Yeah. Now, there will be something. It's going to happen uh, just before the first race weekend in Melbourne. Okay. So the, the Aussies will get to have some sort of grand opening ceremony. <laughs> yeah, it could be interesting. Um, the other thing is, uh, you remember... not. Well, the, f- the fan village is being expanded at all the races, but there was the big, uh, what did they call it in London? The F1 race experience thingy. Um, not the fan village. Um, F1 Live, that's it. 
Oh, yes. The F1 Live event. We have a little more information, not much. Um, planned in 2018 is going to be an F1 Live event in Berlin. Marseille we knew about. Uh, Milan, Italy. Shanghai, China. And Miami. When? I don't know yet. But there is going to be an F1 Live event in Miami. I'm assuming that it's probably going to be within two to three weeks of the U.S. Grand Prix. So probably October is my guess. If I was to guess, my my thought is going to be that they would do it the week prior to the U.S. Grand Prix because uh, the week before that is Japan, and they've got to get folks from uh, Suzuka over to Miami. Now, it's also also possible, but I doubt it because of Le Mans, but it's also possible that they could do it the week after Montreal. Hmm. And Montreal, from a logistics perspective, might be a little bit easier, um, but I don't know. I need the calendar. But I haven't heard official dates yet for when that's going to be. Well, you know, you never know. We may decide to go to Miami. Okay. Especially if Lewis has gotten suitably schooled and now needs to show up to these things. Well, one of the things that the BBC pointed out was that, you know, the only driver that did not show up to this event was Lewis Hamilton. And Lewis not showing up to this event created about as much headlines as the event itself. So, yeah. But Lewis likes Miami. He does like Miami. He likes the U.S., so who knows? Yeah. And, I mean, I could say hello to a few other drivers. Valtteri. Valtteri. Nico Hulkenberg. Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, only because I really like the, you know, the fact that he's constantly smiling even when he's mad. Yeah. Not because they'd want to, like, you know, put him on the short list for pool boy. Okay. Valtteri's on the short list. I mean, come on. <laughs> Just to be clear, we don't have a pool. <laughs> what about Lance Stroll? Not on my short list at all. Oh. Well, Lance is now speaking to the press about his opinions of Felipe Massa. This is not going to go well. Well, as you recall, there was a lot of talk about how Felipe was, was kept on the team to be a mentor to Lance. Essentially. That and to make sure that the sponsors were happy. I thought he was kept on the team because he was the only one that answered the call when they called around because they lost Valtteri at the last minute. No, I don't think so. I think it was it was the easiest one when they lost Valtteri. Ah. Well, Lance... They already had a seat that was fitted to his butt, so therefore it was yeah. easy. Well, well, Lance is now talking about the experience of driving alongside Felipe. And, of course, it was fantastic because he's so well-loved in the paddock. Well, what Lance said, he said, I don't think I had any guidance from him last year whatsoever. He was a teammate like any other. He was busy trying to drive as fast as he could, and I was trying to drive as fast as I could. That was it. There was nothing more to it than that. I don't know why people seem to think there was a coach or a mentor thing going on. There wasn't. It was just him doing his job and me doing mine, and whoever did it better finished ahead. 
Whether my teammate is someone with 15 years experience or someone of one year experience, my approach doesn't change. Keep in mind, that's your senior driver over at Williams this year. Yeah. You're impressed, aren't you? Let's just hope that he keeps it tire side down this year. Let's just hope that he doesn't do more damage than they're going to get in prize money, which isn't going to be a lot. Well. And Daddy Stroll can subsidize the loss in prize money that they're going to have from keeping Lance and now Sergey in. Well, hopefully Sergey comes, you know, his daddy's got some money too. Yeah. So Haas has announced that they are in talks with two young drivers for development roles. Okay. So you would think that after all the firestorm this week, maybe they would look to some of the American series for some development drivers, right? No. Why would they do that? That was kind of my point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they are... Uh, in talks to continue their relationship with American Santino Ferrucci. Who has the least American name ever. And is uh, racing in GP3 and just recently started in Formula 2. Okay. Um, he only started midway through the season. So it's not like there was an expectation that he was going to come out as champion. And as a result, he ended the season in 22nd with just four points. But again... Midway through the season, so who knows? And we don't actually know if he's promising to begin with, but he's who Haas keeps talking to. Uh, the other one that they're speaking to is Arjun Maney. Um, don't know how he finished, never heard of this guy, don't even know what series he's in. But wow, that's this is the best talking. news story. I mean, there's you've nothing ever... else here. This is the... then why are we doing this news story? Because they're talking about him. Because because we're in it was such more a dearth hi- of information that is F1 that we are talking about a non-news story for a non-team? No, actually, it was more to highlight the fact that, again, after all the firestorm in the last month over the fact that they can't be bothered to talk to an American driver um, who has proven themselves in another series, instead they're going to go with this guy that nobody's ever heard of, that even the press is going... Yeah, they're talking to him from a development role, but we don't even know what the hell he's driving. Okay. I think he just came out of the power wheel circuit. (laughs) I heard he was excellent in his big wheel. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) why would you not at least have a talk with somebody? I I don't know. We keep talking about Stingray, Stingray Rob. Why not talk to somebody at least in Indy Lights? I don't know. Stingray Rob drives Formula One. I will lose my (laughs) mind. If he gets a development contract with somebody. Well, I will personally just lose my mind. Because I have to tell you, after the weekend at Indy last year, the love affair that those commentators had with Stingray Rob, I wanted to scream every time I heard his name. We're gonna have to if he is at Mid Ohio, you're gonna have to get a picture. You're gonna have to get a picture with Stingray Rob. We are tracking his butt down. He he might have to be an album artwork one week. 
We could probably get an interview. You'd have to have something to ask him. Yeah, there's your problem. Do you ever want to drive for Formula One? <laughs> what would you think about that? All right, so speaking of Formula One drivers. I'm going to reach out to Stingray Rob's management group and see if I can't get us an interview in Mid-Ohio. I'm going to work on that. Uh, you do that. Um, Rubens Barrichello. Yes. Um, apparently, and, and not a lot of info on it because he's not talking about a whole lot. Uh, but Rubens Barrichello put up on his Instagram feed that he is now out of the hospital and recovering from a stay there. And, of course, everybody went, wait, what? You're in a hospital? What? <laughs> okay, that Back be, up. <laughs> that beat the last time you posted something on Instagram and somebody you know, posted, who are you again? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Basically what happened was, I guess he posts a lot on Instagram and went silent for a stretch. Mm. And all kinds of folks started going, um, Rubens, what, you, is everything all right? So after a couple of days, he came up and said, okay, yeah, this is really what happened. Um, as he put it, he had a small problem on a vein. Basically, he was, he got up one morning, went to go take a shower, had a headache, went to go talk to his wife, who said, hey, we should probably call a doctor. And they called the doctor, and the doctor said, go to the hospital now. Ooh. Um, but all he says is, I had a small problem with the vein. So it's not like, he had it. I mean, kind of almost sounds like he had a stroke or something like that. But I don't know. So his exact statement: a small problem with a vein with a headache on a vein on a vein with a headache sounds a lot like an aneurysm. What he said: I can see everyone is sending me messages and everyone is worried. A long time not posting pictures and so on. So I decided to tell you. On Saturday, I decided to wake up and have a shower. I felt a terrible headache. Luckily, my wife was there, and she called a friend doctor who took me to the hospital. They took really good care of me. I had a small problem on a vein, but I want to tell you that I am feeling great. I am still going through exams and so on, but I am honestly great, and the difficulties in life are the ones who show us how to grow and how to be better. I am so thankful. Thank God for the opportunity, and soon I will be back on the racetrack. So good to speak to you guys. Interesting. Yeah. So we don't know what he's up to. Interesting. Yeah, very tight-lipped about what's going on. But I, my experience would be a terrible headache, a problem with a vein. Could mean that there's like a weak spot in the vein that they just needed to go in and clip. I don't know. So, yeah, on, on that utterly depressing news. We're going to end the show? I mean, come on. You've got to come up with something better than that for the end. Dave. Um, yeah, I, I, I really don't have anything. I mean, Autosport is doing their still nothing burger stories. You know, McLaren's determined to avoid a peaky car next year and... Toto Wolf is bothered that Esteban Ocon and Sergio Perez were clashing on track. I mean, really, whatever. <laughs> well, I did see when I was checking out the Formula One uh, app 
Okay. That there is a video up. I have not watched it yet, so I'm going to send people off to go watch it with Gunther Steiner. It's called Grill the Grid, the F1 bosses. Those tend to be good for some yeah, they, they, they do those every couple of days. There's been quite a few that have been going on. Actually, I do have breaking news. So what at this broke? point, I am inserting the breaking news music. Breaking news, this weekend was the race of champions in Riyadh, so we know that absolutely none of our, our listeners are there. Um, David Cothard has won the race of champions, defeating 2003 World Rally champion Petter Solberg in the final in Riyadh. Yay, DC! He uh, won the best of three final by a 2 nothing score, took the opening heat ahead of Solberg in the in Wellen Euro NASCARs by just over half a second, then sealed a champion of champions victory by winning the following heat comfortably by 1.7 seconds in Vuel 05 cars. Well, congratulations to DC. Very good to win the race of champions. Yeah, he beat 2012 IndyCar champion Ryan Hay Run Ryan Hunter Ray, I should get his name right, um, <laughs> by six-tenths in the second quarterfinal. Um, and Joseph Newgarden was competing. I don't have a picture of what these Euro NASCARs are. Now, you remember at last year's Race of Champions, and I have not heard if he was running, but Pascal Verlein managed to take himself out of part of the uh, Formula One season after flipping one when he clipped Felipe Massa yeah. in a Polaris slingshot in Miami. Correct. He did that. So I don't know if he ran. I don't know if he got invited back. <laughs> I don't know. All right. So now on that note, we'll call it a show. Remember, uh, leave us a comment over either on the Facebook page or over on uh, Bloke and the Show. What are your thoughts on the great girls? Do, do you agree with Nikki Lauda or do you agree with Trisha? And well, basically, do you have the right opinion or the wrong opinion? I am not going there. <laughs> you are almost a wise man, but I know you agree with me. The The other thing is, again, this week is uh, the premiere of Amazon's Grand Prix Driver Series. If you get a chance to take it in, or at least just the first episode, uh, we'd like to hear from you. What do you think of it? Do we you should, like, like it? Is it cool? It yeah, well, we'll watch it also once it comes out. Uh, the question is whether or not we'll get the chance to watch it before we record next week. But we want to know what your thoughts are on the series. Yes. And hopefully we can see if this is good and this is a great level of access. Hopefully more teams will do something like this. That would be awesome. And maybe that's the way we can see more girls in motorsport. There you go. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. 
Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay.